The following message was given at Hope Church of Knoxville. For more information about Hope Church, please visit our website at hopeknox.com. We've been going through the book of Jonah. We've been going verse by verse through Jonah, and we are now coming to a point where we're in chapter 3. We're almost finishing up the book, but uh, next week we're going to take a small detour for Easter as we celebrate uh, the resurrection of the Lord. Uh, Jonah is very much tied to the book of Easter, or not the book, wow, <laughs> the story of Easter. It's very much tied to the story of Easter, um, but we're going to take a small detour next week from Jonah. But I'm going to go ahead and read for us um, our section today. We're going to read all of chapter 3, and then I'll pray for us again, and then we will um, dive right in. It says, Then the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise and go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah rose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey. In breath, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet for forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed the Lord, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth for the greatest of them to the least of them. Then the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with a sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is within his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. And when God saw what they did, he turned from their evil in the, uh, how they turned from their evil way. God relented from the disaster that He said would do, um, do to them, and He did not do it. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for allowing us to come into Your presence. Thank You for allowing us to spend time in Your Word today. I pray that You will open up our ears that we may hear, that we may be transformed. I pray that You will apply these words to our hearts, that we will see what you are calling us to to learn from this. May we treasure Christ more as a result of this passage. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, One of my favorite stories, uh, I love uh, history. I like reading books of history. I'm reading a biography right now on uh, George Washington. But I love war history. It's just kind of a weird thing that I've gotten into since I've graduated school. And... um, one of my favorite characters in, in the history of war would be a Civil War man named Stonewall Jackson. And if you've ever seen the movie Gods and Generals, it, uh, he's one of the central characters in this movie. And Stonewall Jackson was a very brave man. That's why he got the nickname Stonewall. And it wasn't uncommon for him just to go into war, gunshots are firing, and he's just sitting on his horse and staring around, looking around. And he's considered one of the bravest men. Everyone, was, uh, everyone feared him. He's also a devout believer. A lot of people do not realize that about him. And um, one day a man comes to him and he asks him, how is it that you don't fear when bullets are flying by your head? How is it that in the midst of this you, you're not afraid that while these bullets are being shot all around you, how do you stand bold and act as if nothing is wrong? And this is what his response was, and I thought it was very fitting. He says, Captain, my religious beliefs teach me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. 
God has fixed the time for my death. I do not, my, I do not concern myself about that. But to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. He added and then a, a pause, and he looked at the man's face, and he says this, that is, all, that is the way all men should live, and then they would be equally brave. And the thing I think we can learn about this, when we come to the book of Jonah, it teaches us something that, that I think Stonewall Jackson had, and something that I think we should apply to our life, is putting our hope and finding our hope and our comfort and our rest in the God of our salvation. When you want to know how to be brave, do you want to know how to conquer a difficult situation? Do you want to know where to go to when you're afraid and you don't know what the outcome may be? Put your rest in the God who's in control of all things. And I think we'll see that today when we come to this passage. I'm going to start off with the first verse here. He says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying... Why is this phrase important? So the book of Jonah begins. Jonah is a prophet. He's in Israel. He's in God's promised land. And he's a prophet in God's promised land. And he has been preaching in God's promised land. And then God and a word comes to him from the Lord and says, Jonah, I need you to go to Nineveh. And I need you to go proclaim that judgment is coming. And Jonah doesn't want these people to come to the Lord. He doesn't want to see them repent. We always think of the story of Jonah, and we think that Jonah's this happy person, and then he disobeys the Lord, and then he gets put in a fish, and then he obeys the Lord, and that's the end of the story. That is not the end of the story. Jonah is an Israelite. He doesn't want to see the Gentiles converted. And as a result of that, God punishes him. The wrath of God comes upon Jonah. That is the first word of God. Go into the city and he disobeys. Then he gets put into the belly of the well. The wrath of God comes upon him and upon the ship and all the storms are coming upon him. When we disobey the Lord, we are at odds with the Lord. And we need a sacrifice. We need something to stand in our place. And that is why we have Jesus. But here Jonah... Judgment must take place on Jonah. And what happens? He is thrown off the ship and put to death. It's a spiritual death if you want to think of that. He's put to death for three days. And then, while he's in the fish, the whale, if you are a kid, it's always a whale. Um, While he's in this great fish, Jonah repents and turns to the Lord. And as a result of that, he's put to death and then he's raised back to new life. And now, as soon as he is raised back to this new life, a word comes to him again. This reminds me of the story of creation. God creates the world with a word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It's God speaking creation into being through a word. Then judgment takes place. And man sins and they disobey God's word. And then we hear when we come to the New Testament... That the Word becomes flesh. That Word comes to us again. The same Word that created the universe. The same One that brings life to us. The Word becomes flesh. Jesus, that's who we celebrate. The Word has come again. Just as creation is starting over with Christ, it is now starting over with Jonah as well. The Word has come once again to Jonah. Judgment has taken place. He has been brought back to new life. 
If you want to think of our baptism, whenever we talk about baptism, you're buried, your old life is no more. It has been buried, it has been put in the grave, and then you're raised to new life. And then you're given God's new command. There's comfort in that. The reason there's comfort in that is no matter what you've done in your past, no matter how shamed you are of your past, no matter where you are, that is gone. That has been put to death in Christ. And you have been raised to new life in Him. And now we're called to go on mission. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. This idea that you can put your faith in Christ and never do anything and never have any obligation to obey the Lord is foreign to the Bible. Anytime we see God recreating people, making people new, anytime we see people put their trust and faith in Jesus, it then calls us to mission. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, God has a plan for you. No matter what you've done, no matter where you have been, God has a plan for you. You have a role to play in His great drama, His great theater, His His great act of life. There is a part that you must play. There is no such thing as a believer who is not called to mission. And by mission, I don't mean international missions. I mean to God's mission of making all things new. Then we come to verse (coughs) 2. Excuse me. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. The message that I tell you, so that Jonah arose and went to Nineveh, according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was a great it was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days you shall be overthrown. What's going on with Nineveh? Why is he calling out judgment upon Nineveh? In order to understand that, I'm going to go to uh, another uh, two other books real quick, and um, we're going to look at their sins. So I'm going to go ahead and read these. This is what Zephaniah says. Nineveh is a boastful city that bragged about her greatness and security. She said in her heart, I'm amazing so that no other compare. Now she is totally deserted and animals live in her streets. Everyone who passes her now will hiss and and taunt and make vulgar, vulgar gestures at her. So that's what... Zephaniah later on will describe Nineveh as. This is what her sin was. Nahum 3. So later on after this story, after the book of Jonah, this is the way Nahum describes her. He calls her a wicked people, a corrupt people. The whole chapter is devoted to explaining all of her sins, all of the city of Nineveh's sins. So they are, they are a corrupt city. They do not love the Lord. They love their sin greatly. They boast about their sin. They boast about their arrogance, how they're the greatest. Rather than proclaiming and giving God glory, they're trying to get glory for themselves. And as, as a result of that, judgment is coming. So what's the significance of 40 days? Why does he say 40 days? It seems arbitrary. You know, I'm going to give you 40 days and you're going to be judged. Why not 30 Why not three? Why not two? Why 40? The reason 40 is significant. There's a lot of language he's drawing back from the book of Genesis. And the reason he brings up 40 days is God destroyed the entire earth at the flood. 
in 40 days. He's, he's saying this is a number of completeness. And also to show that he's alluding to Genesis and back to the flood narrative, he describes their sins in the same way Jonah does. He says this uh, later on in the chapter, Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from his violence. Those are the same words describing the people during the flood when God destroys. He hears about their violence from the ground. The ground itself proclaims to God the wickedness of this people. They are judging against you. The earth is proclaiming against you in your wickedness is what is going on here. And God says for 40 days, He is going to completely destroy these people. Destruction is certain. So what happens? Let me tell you this, just so we don't think that we're so far from these people, from Nineveh. So we don't think that that their sin is greater than ours. Think about this. Only one sin caused Adam and Eve to be kicked out of the presence of the of the, out of God's presence in the Garden of Eden. It was one sin, one disobedience. They didn't kill anyone. They didn't they didn't rape anyone. They didn't commit any great atrocity. No, one sin. They disobeyed the Lord. Why is that significant? Because God is a perfectly holy and righteous God. Sin cannot be in His presence. That means no matter how many good works you do, no matter how much work you do, how many homeless people you feed, how many people you do good gestures toward, you cannot come into the presence of God. He is a perfectly holy and just God. One sin makes you deserve this complete destruction. We are not far from the people of Nineveh. We too deserve God's wrath placed upon us. His mighty hand deserves to be against us. But that's not the end of the story. That's not the end of our story. But we too are like the people of Nineveh. No matter how small you think your sins are, no matter, you, you may think it's a small thing, whatever you may have done. You may think, you know, the Lord didn't notice this, it's not a big deal. Know this, one sin caused the entire wrath of God to be placed on all humanity. We are now all in Adam. Because God is perfectly holy and just. No sin can be in His presence. That's why sacrifices had to be made in the temple before they could go into the Holy of Holies because sin cannot be made in the presence, or sin cannot be in the presence of God. This may make you fearful. This may make you worrisome. You know, we look at our lives and we think, I'm a great sinner. But know this, you have a great Savior who is greater than your sin. A perfect, spotless Lamb who stands before the throne before you. Let's go down to verse 5. How do these people respond to their sin? How do they respond when they realize, I'm a great sinner in the need of a great Savior. I've done terrible things against a perfectly holy God. How did they respond? This is what it says. And the people of Nineveh believed... 
They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. And let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. How do you respond whenever you're reading the Bible or you hear a sermon preached and your sin is revealed to you? Maybe a brother comes to you or a sister comes to you and says, "Um, I see the sin in your life. I see something you need to work on. Uh, maybe you didn't respond well to, to your spouse. You respond whenever you realize your sin by like, oh, it doesn't really matter. Do you just try to move on? Or do you repent and turn from it? Are you repenting and turning to the Lord? Are you coming back to the Lord? How do you respond to your sin? Do you try to ignore it until it builds up and then the wall comes crashing down upon you? Do you flee from it? Do you hide from your sins? Do you just hope no one ever finds out? How do you respond to your sin? The book of Jonah here tells us how to respond to our sin. When we see our sin, when we realize that we are a great sinner, that we've offended a holy God, where do they go? They plead with the Lord. They rest and they run to the Lord. If you're in the midst of a terrible situation, maybe you've done something wrong, maybe you have a sin in your life that you're trying to get over, where should you go? You shouldn't try to hide it. You should flee to the Lord and pray, may He have mercy on me. And know this, that while you are a sinner, Christ sent, or God sent His Son for you. It wasn't when you had everything straight. It wasn't that you had all your ducks in a row. No, in the midst of your sin, He sent His Son to you. So when you realize you're a great sinner from Scripture, when you realize there's something you need to work on, you don't have to hide it. You don't have to run from the Lord. No. Know that the very God who knows your sin, who confronts your sin, who knows your every deed, sent His Son for you. To die for you while you are a sinner. That is love. That is one that you can trust. That is one that you can run to when you're afraid. That is one that you can boldly go into war with. And say, I'm as safe in war as I am in bed. That is one you can trust. Now... He prays that God may relent and turn His fierce anger so that they may not perish. And then it says, God relented. What does this phrase mean? Does it mean He's praying that God will change His mind? Does God change His mind? I thought the Bible says God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. How does God change His mind? Can He change His mind? Could He change His mind about salvation? 
You know, they promised you salvation, then he changes his mind. Could that happen? No. I don't think the word relented doesn't translate over very well for us. Moses says this in Numbers. He says, God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. The Lord does not change his mind. He has no need to. The reason being, God knows the past, the present, and the future. He does not have a plan B. It's not as if in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve tricked God. No, it tells us that salvation was determined before the foundation of the world. It wasn't that God didn't see it coming. And the reason that is comforting is when you are saved and you're struggling with a sin, you are redeemed God knowing that you would commit that sin. That is comfort. That means that you can rest in the God who secured you, that He who began a good work in you will surely complete it. The God who saved you initially, He's going to bring you all the way. You don't have to fear God changing His mind. Moses goes on to say this, God is not a man that He should lie, or a son of man that He should change His mind. He has, uh, has He said, and will He not do it? Or has He spoken, and will He not fulfill it? The reason this is comforting, and the reason this is good for us to know here, it's not as if God changes His mind periodically. He's not a fickle Lord who doesn't care. He's not a, a Lord who doesn't know all things, but He is one who does know all things. And He is one who can turn His wrath from them. And that's what the relenting is. He promised judgment unless they repented. They did repent. Then God's wrath was taken off of them. This is a picture of the Gospel. Is that all of us, before we are in Christ, have the righteous, just anger of the Lord upon us. And when we put our faith in Christ... The Spirit then places Christ's righteousness on us. So it is no longer our righteousness that we take before God. When we come into the presence of God, it's not saying, God, look at my good works. Look at these things I have done. No, we come clothed in Jesus Christ. We come with Jesus as our righteousness. He is the reason you stand before the throne of God without fear. He is your righteousness. There is no work you can do that can make you stand before God. It is Jesus' finished work on the cross that makes it so that we can stand before His throne. God's wrath has been relented from us. It has been taken off of us and placed on Christ in the cross. That's why Jesus says on the cross, and as we celebrate the coming Easter week, My Father, my Father, why have you forsaken me? Because He drank the cup of wrath on our behalf. He drank the full wrath of God, the full punishment that we deserved. We deserved to be on that cross. The full judgment that God was going to place on the city of Nineveh has then been placed on Christ. 
That judgment that we deserve, that wrath we deserve, has been placed on Christ. So that when we are in a courtroom and the judge brings up all your life's sins, Christ comes in and says, the Father says, guilty. And your sins are placed on Christ. Your judgment then is placed on Christ. And you are set free. You leave as a new man from that courtroom because He has taken your punishment. That is a God of love. That is a God of mercy. And listen to what verse 10 tells us. And when God saw that they repented and turned to Him, I'm adding this in here, when God saw what they did, it's referring back to their repentance and putting their hope in God. Look what they did. Or look what He did, I'm sorry. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented the disaster that He has said He would do to them. And He did not do it. That's our story. It's not only the story of Nineveh, that's our story. Whenever you repent and put your faith in Christ, that wrath, that judgment that you deserve is then placed on the Son. And we get to experience the presence of God, the joy of God. But we too, like Jonah, are called on mission. Jonah repents, he is judged and brought to new life. And then what does God do to him? He sends him out on mission. Now these people are set free, and what should the natural response be for them? Just like it is with Isaiah, the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is confronted in a sin. They put a, a hot coal to his mouth. He's judged, and then he's sent on mission. When we are baptized, we are put to death, we are raised to new life. When we put our faith in Christ, we are made righteous. What's the next word for us? That next word is God has called you to go out and share the good news. To go out and take His kingdom to the nations. When Jesus prays, the kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, He is praying that God's kingdom will be on earth. That people through our lives, through our church, through our friendships, through our love for one another, that they will get to see a glimpse of the kingdom. It's not a perfect picture but it's a picture of a future reality. Are you living on mission? Are you living your life on mission for Christ? Are you taking the kingdom of God to the nation? Are you putting your trust in Christ? Are you afraid of certain judgment? If so, run to Jesus. Let us pray and then we're going to have a time of response where we're going to play a song here. Heavenly Father, thank you for allowing us to come together today to worship you. Thank you for your son and what he has done for us on the cross. Thank you that by us putting our faith in your son, that he then becomes our righteousness. Be with us now as we come into this time of response and prepare for the Lord's Supper as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.